there just aren't enough artificial intelligence PhDs to go around. Our audience here at Tech Emergence is really business professionals with an interest in applying AI. Directors of different departments, executives, founders, people heading up initiatives, strategic initiatives within companies that may involve AI, and they're looking to explore the possibilities. And almost all of them have some degree of a concern around getting and keeping talent related to AI applications, a challenge for literally everyone. When you're competing with Google and they're paying people, you know, a quarter million dollars a year straight out of college with, you know, uh, milkshakes and haircuts every time they come into work, it's awful tough to garner the kind of talent uh, that companies need to build some kinds of applications. But hopefully the future will simplify a bit of this. We speak this week with Jeremy Aiken of Data Robot. Data Robot's one of the fastest growing AI companies in the Boston area about the future of AI applications and how interfaces may become simpler. In other words, how will training augment the skills of existing teams and how will the future of AI tools sort of bypass some of the hard math and the linear algebra and some of the deeper knowledge of Python and Spark and some of these AI coding languages and make more like drag and drop or intuitive interfaces for people to be able to work with, let's say, image recognition or make sense of audio data or other various kinds of AI applications, how will the software evolve to make it easier so that the world doesn't need a hundred times more PhDs because it'll never get them, but rather the software will be able to hopefully compensate uh, moving forward. This is what Data Robot is trying to work on now and certainly has a vision for in the future. So I thought it'd be interesting to get Jeremy's idea of what does the next five years ahead look like in terms of the simplification of AI tools for business people, knowing that that's what my audience really is. We do talk a bit about training as well, where the role of training and consultants will fit in to sort of the AI landscape. I know that's a topic of interest for many of our business leader listeners. So without further ado, we'll dive right in. This is Jeremy here on AI and Industry. So Jeremy, what I thought we'd start off with is how the AI ecosystem is being forced to evolve with this massive demand for sort of AI skills and tools, and obviously the huge gap in terms of how many people are trained to use them. Maybe if we talk about the tool side first, it seems like a lot of this, you know, the complaints are, we don't have people trained to do this. We don't have people with the academic background to do this. How are tools going to have to evolve to compensate for a lack of academic training in AI? Right. So I think they're already starting to evolve like this, but tools have evolved and they're starting to kind of accelerate in this direction. They're becoming abstracted. The, the AI tools that will be used five years from now, or even sooner, even three years from now, you won't need to like, understand like the inner workings of a neural network or you won't be able to program in Python or, or something to be able to get something done. The tools will automate enough of that that you can be operating at a different level, like thinking about the problem being solved and how to interpret and communicate with the AI system. That's where the focus will be for the you know the future tools. So getting away from having to know the linear algebra or getting away from even having to know Octave or Python or what have you and, and being able to just sort of work within a UI. I've used the analogy before and you could tell no, me. I would say is. not even work within a UI. Oh, really? So How so? So if you, if you picture like, you know, working with tools that allow you to work with a UI, like maybe you're picturing something like, 
Alteryx or something where you have a set of steps that you connect and you create you drag this and like drop flow, stuff and drag yeah, and drop yeah. and put it together like that. The act of like having to go and drag and drop and do that, you still need to understand like what you're doing to do something like yes. that. You know, some systems today, not many, but there's some today that can do this stuff. And, you know, even more and more so, I think this is the direction we're heading. The computer will just do that for you, right? The computer will just assemble these workflows that are normally assembled in a graphical user interface. They'll assemble them for you. That's the like next level of automation that's even above and beyond just creating a UI. In fact, most tools that where there's a, a graphical user interface that's created, they don't actually make things more productive. They just enable a new type of user to do it. So these graphical user interfaces, they enable like a not, somebody who doesn't understand how to program yes, SQL yes, and yes, Python yes. and stuff yep. to be able to do some of these things. Yep. But they're not doing it much faster than somebody who would program. program. And they still need to understand it enough. So the, the real value and the real breakthrough is going to, the real 10x, 100x comes when you teach a machine to do that stuff for you and teach somebody business level, like just enough to interact with it in a practical level, like just what they need, just enough knowledge to be able to interpret what's going on. And the machine has to be very transparent. Like it has to do this in a very transparent way. It can't be a, a magical box, right? Yeah, it box, has yeah. to assemble these workflows in a way that you can actually see what's going on and drill in if you have to. Now, okay, so we'll throw a little bit of color on that. It's interesting that you say even beyond the UI and UX, because I think about, you know, not being a programmer myself, I was a cognitive science guy in school, so didn't go the computer science route. Marketing automation is sort of the tool that I've used in a whole bunch of my last businesses, and it's drag and drop. You know, what's the next thing that happens after this? If they click this, what happens here? And I'm not programming anything, but Infusionsoft or HubSpot can go execute what I'm talking about. You're talking about something where an even simpler set of instructions are given and those kind of flows are actually constructed. How would these be given? Is this just via some kind of a, you know, entering something into text through natural language in the next five years? I mean, what is your vision for simpler than drag and drop? So all the computer needs, it needs an objective. It needs some kind of function to optimize, right? And then it needs access to data and metadata in order to, and and be able to experiment and evolve and, and iterate until it optimizes for that metric, right? So in the case of marketing, you know, obviously the amount of leads or opportunities. Yeah, sales, customer created, lifetime right? value, yeah, whatever yeah. it is. Yeah. Whatever it is, one up, there's a few different things that you could optimize for there at different st- steps in the process. Um, and you could optimize for one or many of those, but you kind of set a target and say, okay, here's here's the initial system and, and set a, and machine learning can play a part in this, but you know, some of it's programming the logic of the particular application into it as well. So this sounds like basically taking what humans know now, this this almost sounds like maybe some of the future tools won't actually even involve the fundamentals of AI or programming in any way. It'll really just be the the info humans know now and can't enter into the systems are what I want to optimize, what what I want to achieve, right? You're saying that maybe... And what data might be relevant to to, to, to solving this task. For now, you kind of have, for the foreseeable food, you'll have to kind of tell the computer that, you know, later the computer might know where to go find. Yeah, yeah. Or it might be able to, you tell it a little bit about, hey, here's some data that might be useful. And it looks at that and figures out what are all the other data sources that I might be able to pull into this to help solve the problem more. That would be nuts if machine learning can eventually help solve the context of what do we need to solve this problem. That's obviously another level. To my knowledge, that's not normal today. Correct. But no, you're saying in, not, in the future it may be. in the future, so, but not far off future. Cool. Okay. So yeah, we're not Five talking. Yep. Yeah, exactly. Not It's not a not a 20 year out thing. So that would be a big step up from where we are now. But what you're saying is if we know the objective, we know the source of data that may be valuable in achieving that objective, 
tools are going to be moving closer and closer to just taking that information, which is probably in most people's minds now anyway. They just don't know how to use the tools and just let them spill that into a system and the system will kind of construct what might need to be constructed to optimize for whatever they're going for in the first place. Okay. So this is kind of the zeitgeist that things are getting sucked towards, if you will. Okay. Interesting. So this is the dynamic in And the people who like to do it manually might will fight it a little bit. Yeah. People don't like their stuff, their jobs being automated. There's stuff that they're only they're the ones that can do in the universe. Like they're very Uh, proud of it. But it's it'll be inevitable. (laughs) That's interesting. Well yeah, we're we're talking about that with, you know, doctors and lawyers and all the other kind of traditional roles that are putting the brakes on some technology. And some degree for good reason, but understandably sometimes for maybe bad reason at some point too, just because man, I, I don't want to not be special. My supposition is even in the future when there are very simple sort of give it the goal, give it the data kind of systems you still, my gut doesn't tell me that the data scientists are sort of going to be maybe a little bit less and less important within companies. My thought is they're still maybe going to have a decent role. And that's not me defending them. That's me actually looking into the future. I don't have a a horse in the race either way. Mm -hmm. Um, Do you feel differently? No, no. I think, first of all, there's there's always going to be 10% of the problems that you'll need a human you know, the, these edge Get cases. Their hands dirty these, yeah, yeah, exactly. And also, I think the job of the data scientists will just change. So there's some other personas now that are going to, in the future, there's not enough PhD machine learning people that can like, yep. there's never going to be. So there's these other personas that are going to emerge. So they're the current people who are like data engineers, the people who are right now, they can go and mani- get the data, manipulate the data, but they don't know statistics or machine learning, right? Those those people with the automation that exists even today, they can accomplish things with machine learning, right? The Tableau, somebody who uses something like Tableau, a business analyst. Was right? that still data engineer technically? No, no this, oh, this is now a business analyst. Like a business analyst, okay, right? business analyst somebody, yeah. there's, there's lots and lots of those people. Yep. Some percentage of them, right? 20, 30% of the more sophisticated ones that have the motivation. They're right now in Tableau. They have the data. They understand the data. They understand the business problems they're solving. They can now use you know, automation to do more advanced things with it. Instead of simple analytics with charts and graphs, they could do higher value things with machine learning and AI. Got it. And what it means for the data scientists is you know, the most successful and impactful data scientists will be ones that don't try to prevent that, but embrace that and kind of work with them to guide them, right? So picture you're a Tableau user or you're a data engineer or you're a software engineer. You don't know anything about machine learning, and now you're going to start solving problems. If there's data scientists in your organization who are very experienced and willing to help, you know, that's a lot of value that's going to be added, right? Because the people will be doing it for the first time. So if they have a mentor or a shepherd to like help them through that, data scientists will be solving really, really hard problems. And then working with many, many problems at once with this added army of, uh, you know, citizen data scientists. Yep. You know. who are now enhanced in their capabilities because they don't all have to know Spark. Yeah. And that takes us right into our kind of second topic here around training. Now, I was unaware of this until you guys gave me the tour and uh, told me more about the company here. But training is sort of part of what you guys do. There's a whole lot of talk about, obviously, the talent shortage, but also at what point do we bring in consultants to help with something and at what capacity, you know, we don't want to rely too much or maybe we need to rely too much or whatever. What kinds of current developers can we take to seminars or four-month training programs to get up to a level where you know they can also use machine learning? And what's the mix of talent that's actually going to allow us to do what we want to do with ML? These are all big, open, unsolved questions for most companies. In your opinion, in terms of how training occurs within this ecosystem to sort of level up aggregate business skill for machine learning. What does that look like? Big picture. Yeah, I think I'll just say some things I feel passionately about, Go for about, it. about you know, with this topic. It seems like that a lot of the training 
companies out there. I'm not going to mention any names. Yeah, let's not. But uh, I'm with you. Their goal is to keep people in the seats, right? They want to train someone on something, and then they want them coming back and learning more and more. Customer and more. value. That's yeah. where the uh, that's where the value. They, they have to, right? They can't yeah, deny it this, is what right? It is. Yep, their it is. job isn't to like get somebody to be you know good enough that they can now go out and work. They don't have to. So you know, I'm a big fan of continuing education. You can always like be learning new things or whatever, but. Yep. It's just too fundamental to their, like, if you're an education institute, it's too fundamental to their business to just keep people coming back and, and spending more and more money. Yeah. So I think we take a very different approach, which is like, what's the minimum amount that we can teach somebody so that they're useful and focusing on like very practical stuff. There's a lot of things that sound very interesting, like learning how the insides of neural networks work and how to program in R and Python and stuff. And that's all, you know, that has a lot of value. And if you learn how to do that, you can certainly find good jobs and so on. But I like to start with the practical. How do you solve problems? And then enable them using the best tools on the market today that automate some of that for you. Have them solve problems and learn how to solve problems. And then they can go deep and learn R and Python and how inside of neural networks work like afterwards, after they're already up and running and functioning like that. I think that there's probably a lot of a lot of effort being wasted on people being trained on the wrong things. That's what I think. And when we talk about wrong, in your opinion here, a lot of this, it sounds like just from hearing you initially, is maybe starting with the abstract science as opposed to things that will more immediately deliver value within their workplace. Is yeah. this what you mean by wrong things or yeah. other things as well? No, that, that's exactly right. Okay. And so I guess I, I have some experience. Before I started the company, I worked for a big insurance company. And one of the strategies we had was let's hire a bunch of PhD people and bring them in. And I've seen this happen in other places. So it's not just my observation. You can hire people who have this kind of academic experience on paper. They've learned a bunch of stuff and not much will get done. The mindset of writing papers and learning about abstract scientific mathematical things doesn't translate necessarily into like getting stuff done. And when your companies are hiring data scientists, for the most part, you want them to be able to execute and get stuff done. So I think like there's a focus on, you know, enabling people, like if there's more educational programs where the, the focus is on just enabling them to be useful in a real... In practical the, yeah, sense, yeah. Exactly. I, well, and you have this bent too, because it, AI wasn't necessarily your academic shtick either. And it clearly doesn't have to be for you to be a pro at this stuff and to know what you're talking about. We've found anecdotally a pretty decent correlation a lot of the time with companies that are founded having somebody with marquee AI data science experience, either at a big company, you were with insurance, actually, it's pretty common. But, you know, the Googles and Amazons or who had gone to school. But I guess what you're saying is, you know, if you're a big company, just hiring PhDs doesn't necessarily guarantee functional output just because they have big degrees. That's right. Cool. Yeah. And I think some of these big companies actually have goals of hiring a certain number of people that they can call data scientists. Yeah. And we need seven data scientists. Just, yeah. Or 700, right? Yeah. And then they hire and they don't really care if they do anything useful. Wow. I'd love to work at a company like that. Yeah. Uh, just go, I, just if, move to Silicon Valley. Yeah, I, I live in San Francisco. Yeah, okay. There's plenty. Of yeah. <laughs> just change your title. I think you're, based on how much you've written about AI. I could recently, BS it. Yeah. You're, you're, I could, you're qualified. Yeah, I could fudge it. I'll That's be a, like, I'll be like, yeah, you know, support vector machines. Yeah. yeah How exactly. about that? No, that's how's, fine. How's 200 grand a year sound? Trust right? me, the person interviewing you will think that's a good deal. Yeah. And, and, and also, <laughs> in, in also, San Francisco, it's a great deal. And also, they will have no idea what you're talking about, but it'll sound very sophisticated and they'll hire you. That's what I've always wanted in life, yeah. to sound sophisticated. Yeah. Um, all right. So just to, to put a cap on this, I'm wary of time, but I think this is a good topic to just kind of touch on again. For you, maybe if you look at kind of what the future, uh, if we close out on this, maybe if you look at what the future of training will look like. Do you think that maybe more training programs will, will evolve with a direct pragmatic bent along with the productivity tools? 
Do you see a lot more consultancies evolving that try to sort of level up the skills of the people that they work with? Now, you have a horse in this race because yeah. you'd rather do the educating than the educating companies. I can understand that you'd have you know right. your own inherent, you know, you want to feed your people and whatnot. I get it. But uh, just knowing that your opinion is, is one of a good many and, and that you have an educated one here, in terms of where training is headed, where training versus consulting clash, how do you think those might evolve moving forward? again, to sort of bring the whole industry skill level up. You're talking to me about consulting. Right? Sure, sure. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll give you a, a sense of what, I, what I'm talking about. So some companies might want to implement, let's say a manufacturing firm might want to implement some degree of machine vision yeah. so that they don't need people on this line taking off the broken bottles or something. They can have a, I'm, it's a yeah. completely arbitrary example, but essentially bring in someone with machine vision expertise and a way of kind of training that system and getting it up to speed so that maybe they could bring to bear some implementation or bring a consulting company on board to maybe, again, build out some other sort of automated marketing function with a team. And then the, the hope would be eventually decoupling and being able to, to run with it. Of course, the downside is maybe you're hooked into them forever. But yeah. either way, consultants are in the field. I don't really have a, a firm opinion as to where they belong and don't belong, but maybe you do. Yeah, I think we, we also have a horse in this race too. And, of course, and it's, it's yeah. a very and, and, it's, it's a very complicated it's, horse. It's good. It's because, good to admit that the audience understands yeah, that, yeah, by yeah, the yeah, way. Yeah, yeah. But um, I, I still, you know, opinions are still valuable even when they have yeah, biases. So go ahead. Sure, sure. So I think you know, on, on one hand, I want these consulting firms. I want them to use my software, right? So they can be better at yes, you know, yes, you know, to you, delivering. Value, you'd like to right? get into the companies with them, yeah. sort of. At the same time, what our real goal is is those companies that they're selling to, you know, we want to enable those companies like, you know, the big banks, big insurance companies, big manufacturers. We want to enable them to do AI and machine learning projects themselves. That's like our mission. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So the tool um, side at the yeah. end of the day. Right. Yeah. And so I think for right now, I see, I see an even split. I just see enough work for enabling companies to do some of the work themselves. And then they'll still have so much things they want to do that they're going to have to get consultants to do some of the other stuff too. So uh, I think... Okay. There's just too much work to do. For so basically, for the near term, let's talk five years. Consultants tacking on and handling some of the bulk of this amazingly big amount of work, they're going to be part of the ecosystem, you think. And yes. maybe it sounds like you're not overtly of the opinion that that's inherently bad. You know, there's the Machiavelli phrase from the prince where if you rely on auxiliaries and you win the battle, the auxiliaries kind of have you by the, you know, I'll what? Tell you, I'll tell you where it's bad. Here's where I, feel, I, have, I do have a strong opinion here. If Less. you look at government, right? Government, like intelligence, defense, they have limits on how much they can pay people per like data scientists, for example. So what's happened down there is you have companies, they've monopolized all the data science talent around Washington, D.C. And so, and you know, there's an infinite amount of applications where AI machine learning can help the country in there, right? For especially intelligence, defense, but also, you know, all the, all the other parts mm -hmm. of government. They can't even hire any of them. And what happens is if they need some data science work done, they have to go through companies and they're going to pay not not only the rate of a data scientist, but also loaded in for profit and all the money that they're funneling to lobbyists and stuff. So they end up paying, you know, four times the average salary of a data scientist just just to get some body in there. And you know what? Half of the ones that they're putting into these jobs, they're not even real data scientists. They put them through some little training program and like certify them and that they can't even execute and get stuff done. But this is in the government space. It's a government space. I have space, no experience yeah. there. There's so not enough people in the government space to, to be able to look at that and, and realize that that's happening. I don't know why more people aren't angry about it, but like I'm actually like, well, angry you're about in it. the field and know about yeah. it. Yeah, that, that's a curious thing. I guess, well, it makes sense the government wouldn't just work with the uh, vendors willy nilly. They'd have kind of specific people. They like the idea of having one sort of. Uh, it's not even that they like It's like the only way that they can do it. If you, huh. if you get something, you can't 
go hire data scientists. It's like, it's just not possible. Weird. You have to go through a contractor and, and do it. Right? Hopefully that problem gets solved and somebody listening in can take a crack at that <laughs> nut that Jeremy's thrown up. It sounds like a pretty tough challenge. It's worth its own uh, startup or two. So somebody yeah. get on that and send me an email. But otherwise, this has been an interesting perspective on where training consulting will fit in as well as the evolution of the tools. My fingers are crossed that your vision of the zeitgeist on tools will occur because I think there's a, a great need there and that's what you guys are working on. So cool. great to have you here, man. Great. Thanks. That's all for this episode on the AI and Industry Podcast, where we explore the applications and implications of AI in your business or industry. And when it comes to those benefits of real insight in terms of artificial intelligence applications in business, this show is really just the tip of the iceberg. AI and Industry is produced by Tech Emergence, and over at techemergence.com, you can find actionable industry-specific coverage, including case studies, unique market research with charts and graphs, and regular coverage of the AI applications of both the hottest startups here in the Bay Area, as well as what Fortune 500 companies are doing with AI today. Everything from marketing and advertising, business intelligence, to specific industries like finance and healthcare, you can stay ahead of the curve and stay on the right side of disruption by visiting techemergence.com. And when you're there, make sure to sign up for our weekly newsletter on the left-hand side of the page. Uh, Most of our podcast listeners get the episodes directly to their inbox every week. You'll be joining tens of thousands of other business leaders who join us from all over the world to stay ahead of the curve of AI in their specific industry. So that's techemergence.com. I'm Dan Fagella. This is AI and Industry, and we'll catch you next week.